CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. I'm joined by Jen Snassi and David Morris. We are here to get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto. We're going to start across the pond. David, take us away. Yes, we have actually a pair of stories today that really highlight some of the weird and fast-changing dynamics around crypto regulation. First, in France, we have uh, regulators and authorities basically saying they're open for business to crypto companies. Among other things, the new MICA regulatory framework that's taking hold in Europe Uh, starting, I believe, in 2025 is when it goes into effect, but there are some transitional rules that are going to allow companies to operate. Um, Already, apparently, 75 crypto companies are registered in France under those rules, and they expect as many as 25 more. And that could include companies that are right now still in America, because the new regulatory framework is going to be a lot friendlier than what we're getting in the U.S. At the same time, the U.K., which is no longer part of Europe, remember, is signaling much harsher approach with one regulator saying that uh, crypto should be regulated as gambling. There's a lot to be said about that, including the fact that the UK lawmaker is partly right about the gambling thing, but it's definitely part of a, a bigger shift in, uh, in regulatory regimes. Uh, are we going to see just a massive shift to uh, companies operating maybe in Europe under this new regime? I would take that bet. I would definitely take that bet. The crypto space wants clear guidelines and that's what Mika provides, right? And I think we get to see a little bit of this jockeying uh, between the continent and the UK here, specifically with France warming to crypto, while the UK and others, especially the US, sort of take a more hardline stance. France has been quietly building up. I think it's, it's sort of crypto chops and credibility in recent months. You know, you have several big name events over there. You have several uh, big name ministers sort of involved in some of these crypto events over in, in Paris specifically. So the idea that France is sort of emerging onto the scene, I think is something that we've been watching slowly bubble up over these past couple of months. And again, it's all about this sort of regulatory dance that all these different countries are playing. This is a global technology. It can be treated differently in different countries. Some are going to be more hospitable. Some are going to be more wary. And where others see danger, some see opportunity. And that's what we get to see mm-hmm. time and time again with this global technology as different national regulators deal with the stuff. But 
Also, I'll send to Jen up in Canada for, for the view from, uh, view from up north. I'm going to take that bet with you, Zach. You know, at the very beginning of this article, it references the MECA regulation as a relative predictability. The law gives relative predictability to companies that are going to be operating in Europe. And I think that's so important because imagine operating and understanding if I do something bad, something bad is going to happen. But if I comply, maybe nothing will happen or something good. It seems like such a far-fetched idea sitting here in North America, but, but in Europe, they seem to be getting it right. And I think we're going to see countries emerge as leaders in the space that we never expected to see. France is taking over headlines more and more. We're seeing more uh, VC money pour into Europe. I saw some numbers yesterday that European crypto project, VC investment in European crypto projects is up almost 10% in one year. So to, to draw some numbers here, um, in Q1 of 2022, VC investment in Europe was at 5.9%. And in Q1 of this year, it bumped all the way up to 47.6%. So the money is following the regulation. I think it's really unfortunate because I think we're going to see not only money, but talent and innovation also, you know, maybe go across, across the sea. We've already heard, you know, Coinbase is looking at operations, places that are elsewhere than the US. Galaxy Digital has also said they're looking offshore. Binance recently left Canada. So we're seeing the effects of this happen in real time. And unfortunately, we're not really seeing any government or regulators action that. And that may be indicative of their intentions. Zach, I think I saw your hand go back up. Yeah, David, I want your take on this specifically. I think a lot of these threats have been a bit toothless, right? Coinbase saying, hey, we're taking our ball. <laughs> going home. And then, you know, Brian Armstrong gets on stage a couple of weeks later and says, no, 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 we're not leaving the US. Don't worry about it. Do you think that crypto firms in the US have the leverage to sort of make these public pronouncements and expect that regulators or lawmakers will do anything favorably toward them? Or do you think it's just like too small uh, for most regulators or lawmakers to care? Yeah, right now, I think trying to pull a leverage play on this is not the right approach. I think that the focus should be on explaining to people what they're actually dealing with and the reality underlying this stuff. And I think that the UK story is, is a good example of this, right? This claim that crypto asset trading should be regulated as gambling reflects some understanding of crypto because I think that there are sectors where that's actually accurate. I mean, if you look at like a meme coin, I pretty much tend to agree with assessments that those things are what you might call a decentralized Ponzi scheme. But the question becomes then, is your if your approach is just to say that the entire thing is that then you're you're missing a lot and you're shutting down things that could have positive impacts and that real investable assets and systems that have the potential to help people and i think that you're seeing the same thing in the united states right you're seeing this blanket approach and that's the risk here is that you're wiping out the positive use cases with the negative you're not engaging with the substance of any of this when you're doing that kind of blanket condemnation and so you're going to see missed opportunities. I think the specificity is a super good point. And we've seen in the last six months, a bunch of people in the industry trying to make that distinction between tech crypto and money crypto, right? Tech crypto, the stuff underlying a lot of these cryptocurrencies can be transformative, pro-social and help people lead better financial lives. A lot of the money crypto stuff, you're right, especially that subsection of the money crypto por portion, the meme coin section, we say it all the time. It is kind of like gambling. It's a bit like buying a lottery ticket, right? There's not a lot of real utility or underlying functionality beyond just getting a thrill from watching the number rise or fall, which can be you know, entertaining and useful, I guess, in its own right. But certainly there are other parts of the money crypto conversation you know, that look more serious and more grown up, right? Whether that's Bitcoin and sort of the institutional embrace of some of these more established crypto assets as something that their clients should be dealing with, 
you know, we see that as well. So I think, again, like that call for specificity, both from within the industry and more broadly, I think is really important so that, you know, the baby is not tossed out with the bathwater mm -hmm. because there are some unsavory bits of the crypto world that certainly maybe deserve a bit of a crackdown while there's other stuff that, uh, you know, could be transformative. But Jen, I'll toss it to you. Sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. I, I'm curious, David, as to your opinion, if you think like whose responsibility is it? Is the government's responsibility to kind of make the definition between tokens that could be considered gambling like meme coins and then the crypto that actually has this underlying technology mm -hmm. that is going to innovate and drive the financial sector forward? Because I look at what's happening in the UK, right? And they say crypto is gambling. And then they say, you know, we're, we're looking into a digital pound and we're looking into a digital pound to restore trust into the financial system. And in the messaging I hear when they talk about the digital pound is very similar to that of crypto. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, who is responsibility? Do you think it is to do this differentiating? And do you think that sometimes the messaging is tweaked as to maybe sway people towards a digital currency that is created by the government instead of one that is truly decentralized? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a side issue, but I have to make the point that like, if you're making the argument that you're going to digitize your currency and that's going to increase financial system faith in your currency, that's incoherent. That doesn't make any sense. That's not why you issue a CBDC. So like, that's silly. But as far as the government role in classifying assets, I think there are two different answers there. And one is maybe there is some technical definition that through discussion and iteration, you can actually find to put into legislation that would differentiate between something that has an actual application and something that doesn't. I think that's a slim chance that you can actually find a really solid technical definition that makes that distinction. So really, the important thing then becomes around disclosures, business plans, asset matches, and other more fundamental things that you can lay out in a document, for example, that's required if you want to trade an asset on an exchange that's being regulated. A little bit like securities disclosures, even if we don't want these things defined as securities. And, and so that disclosure then becomes a ground for people to make their own decisions about how they want to invest in an informed and hopefully reliable and enforceable way so that you don't just have disclosures that are full of lies. I think that most uh, crypto advocates would, would support that second scenario where you have a rigorous disclosure framework that doesn't rely on specific definitions to make those distinctions. All right, we are going to stay in the regulatory conversation. Let's change gears. Let's come back to this side of the pond, shall we? Let's go down to Florida, where Governor Ron DeSantis signed into law a bill banning CBDC usage in the state of Florida, sort of a growing movement on the right to make the CBDC a big, scary tool of big government. A bunch of experts that Jesse Hamilton talked to says doesn't really do anything, this law. Not really going to really do anything in terms of banning the usage of this thing, should we see one. But nonetheless, it's a really fascinating portrait of the current political moment as it relates to the future of money. I'm going to toss this straight to David. What's your take on this one? Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting and obviously relevant that this specific legal attempt isn't going to have much impact. But more broadly, I would say it's actually quite interesting and, to my mind, good to see this pushback. Because even though there is the technical possibility of some sort of CBDC that is actually privacy preserving. In a real political situation that we have right now, that's not gonna happen. You're not gonna have the US uh, Mint issue a CBDC that's uncensorable and actually decentralized and privacy preserving and all of these things. And so, you know, short of that, any CBDC that's gonna have centralized controls 
does have all of the risks that DeSantis is talking about here. And even if the specific legislative effort here is pretty much symbolic, I think it's quite encouraging to see some degree of this skepticism of uh, these, you know, what is essentially going to be a surveillance technology once it actually hits the ground, um, if it actually ever hits the ground. Zach? Plus one on all that. I mean, I really am kind of surprised that this has become the political issue that it has, right? Florida is not alone here. The uh, North Carolina, I believe, mm-hmm. the House, I think it was the House uh, within North Carolina presented a bill that would do something similar. So suddenly, like, the CBDC is becoming sort of this lightning rod where we're still quite distant from the reality of it, to be clear. But it's become something that Republicans are kind of rallying around as something that sort of animates their base, right? It's something that's sort of like red meat for a right-leaning crowd that says, hey, this is Big Brother surveillance. I don't want the government prying into my wallet and knowing what I'm doing, nor do I want them to have the ability to censor. It's red meat go. For sure, for sure. it's It's not totally brain dead, you know? I hear you. So I mean, like the thing that's surprising to me is that it is something that is being identified and touted as a campaign issue. Like I would not have guessed that in 2023 leading into uh, the 2024 election cycle that CBDCs would sort of be on the bingo card. And yet we're very much seeing that from DeSantis, from North Carolina, and likely others in these coming months as they look to carve out you know, their stance on what could be, again, a technology that poses some set of risks. So I just think the the speed with which this is becoming a campaign issue to me is what stands out. Um, and I think it's why we should talk about it. But uh, I'll talk to Jen, toss it to Jen for her thoughts. Yeah, I agree with both of you uh, completely. I think the discourse, it's what's really important here. Whether what's being said is actually possible or if the laws are actually possible, I don't, I don't think that's important. I think the fact that we're talking about it and it's being explained in a way that everyday people can understand, albeit maybe a little bit dramatic, at some times, I think that's what's important. David, everything you said is is completely 100% on point. And every time we talk about these like state-level bills and state-level laws that come into place, I always ask the question, like, but what happens when the federal government says something? And this article says, you know, if the federal government does actually issue a CBDC, they can override everything that the states are doing. Mm-hmm. So the important part in the story to me is that the discourse is being had you know, we're getting the pros, we're getting the cons, and we're seeing it play out in a way that's understandable. There's no like veil of really hard to understand language. And that's the piece uh, in the story that I enjoy. Zach? I mean, I don't know if I want this guy leading the educational effort here. This is clearly like, there's definitely like, 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 you know, quote, government overreach and woke corporate (laughs) monitoring, end quote, as being enabled by CBDCs is not explicitly educational, but it's certainly something that's meant to rile up a subset of voters. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So like, that's the thing I wonder, I'll toss this to David, like, I wonder if this can meaningfully advance an understanding of these technologies, or if it will just be dumbed down to something that is like government bad. And that's what I think is interesting to discuss. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like a stopped clock is right twice a day type of situation. But (laughs) I mean, I can't complain too much in terms of getting awareness out there about just digital monitoring in general. I mean, it is genuinely something to be seriously concerned about. And anything that adds to the government's power on that front should be worrisome to people. I also wanted to highlight on the federal question, there is sort of an inverse to this. Um, And I am, you know, I would say I'm, I'm only loosely read in on this. But my understanding is that state banking regulations also make it impossible for the federal government to stop a state registered bank from issuing its own CBDC, which actually has a much better chance of complying with privacy protections uh, than run by the federal government. So 
Uh, in particular, I believe Wyoming is working on this right now at the state level. So we could see a situation where maybe there is no federal CBDC, which to be clear, Wow, they got it. It was going to be got a him. good one. They got, they got him. him. David got shut Jerome down. Jerome Powell. Sniped. Yeah, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen had you. too much. She was like, no, cut the feed. <laughs> shut anyway, it down. Shut it shut down. It All down. right. All right, Janet. Fair enough. We'll shut it down. Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit CypherTrace.com today for more information. We are going off to stablecoin land to talk about Tether, who says it will buy Bitcoin for stablecoin reserves using realized profits. And QN, the company that issues the USDT stablecoin, reported $1.48 billion of net profits and revealed $1.5 billion in Bitcoin holdings. David, I'm going to toss this one <laughs> off to you. Tether really made a comeback there and now diversifying their reserves. What do you make of this? Yeah, you could sense my unease over the airwaves. I, I don't love it. And I mean, I guess in the larger context, it's, it's not that big of a deal because Tether does have a lot of uh, dollar-denominated assets, a lot of other financial assets in the, in the mainstream finance system. But the reason this is not necessarily great in principle is because it amounts to compounding risk, right? Like Tether is such an infrastructural element of the entire crypto market that if anything bad happens to Tether, that will actually tank the price of Bitcoin. That means that if Tether's backing is partly made up of Bitcoin, then any problem with Tether will be self-reinforcing. Um, I'm going to get roasted for even making this comparison, but it makes Tether look a little bit more like Terra, uh, which, if you remember, was the stablecoin that blew up in what was called a death spiral back uh, in May, almost exactly a year ago. That was because Terra used its own assets to back what it called a stablecoin. Now, Tether is using an asset to back a stablecoin that's tightly tied to its own stability and value, um, which, you know, it's not a huge portion at this point, but it's a potentially structurally, it's not great. Uh, Zach, I see you nodding along. You want to chime in? Yeah, wasn't this like circularity always the concern at like legit no shade here always the concern of like the tether truther squad right like the right. fact that like this would be the thing that was backing up the most systemically important stable coin to your point seems like a bad sort of like loop and could be a bad feedback loop should it become yeah. a significant portion of its backing tether i think has been pretty resilient uh they've been shifting again toward less risky assets you know dollars and t-bills stuff like that which again i mean there's there's risk associated with that in the present environment mm -hmm. but Maybe not a ton. So this, this to me sort of feels like an announcement of a thing that people long suspected was already happening behind the scenes. But I am not super plugged into the daily Tether discourse. So I'd have to throw that back to you as to whether or not that was always the longstanding concern. Yeah, I mean, I would characterize it more as definitely, yeah, like a suspicion that Tether was, was engaging with Bitcoin price in some way or another. But fundamentally, in principle, like the same concern definitely is, is at play here that you know, there's cross risk, there's, there's mingling risk here at a structural level. Again, it's not substantial enough as a share of Tether's backing 
that it should be concerning in the implementation that we're seeing right here. But as a long-term thing, I mean, you don't want to see a scenario, for example, where Tether winds up like 50% backed by Bitcoin or something like that. That would be really bad. So um, as maybe a portion of the package, it's one thing, but like as it grows, it's, it's not good. Jen, you, what are your thoughts here? Well, I was going to ask you a question. I think you've partially answered it. So the story also says that 85% of the reserves are held in cash and cash equivalents. Mm-hmm. I was going to see, like, does that change your outlook on this? I'm just a small brain when it comes to treasury management. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the main point is just, are you dealing with exogenous or endogenous risk, right? There is risk to holding treasuries. There is risk to, you know, for a while, it was pretty clear that Tether was backed by a lot of Chinese commercial paper, which was really not good. But because it was inherently risky in itself, it's different if you're plugging risk that you already face as a sector back into your own risk profile as a, as a backing asset. Um, so I think that, yeah, the, the externality, the external nature of the risk in their other assets is crucial. Um, you have to have, you know, different balances in terms of where your exposure lies. Uh, so the proportion definitely matters. I mean, even if they're 15% Bitcoin, I got to say that doesn't sound great, but I don't, I'm not sure if that's what the 85% number indicates overall. Yeah, there's a lot of tethers out there in the world, something like 82 billion in circulation. So this is by far the leading stablecoin uh, used in the market. And, you know, I think to their credit, they've been trying to assuage some of the concerns about the lack of transparency that has historically plagued their operations. So they're getting out and, and providing, you know, uh, snapshots of their holdings, attestations in some respects. So I think like the fact that they're doing this is good. They're obviously thinking through it. They're like, okay, well, this is from profits. We're just like, this is not going to be from our operating, blah, 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 blah. But I think like, again, I think the compounding yeah, risk is probably the best, point, way, really. the best way to say it. But to their credit, they're thinking through it and trying to be as transparent as possible with some of these numbers. So that's good. Yeah. I, I have another question about this, though, which is interesting, which is why are they doing this right now when cash equivalents offer much better returns, potentially? Um, as we know, interest rates are really high right now. So those treasury bills that they're sitting on are generating like 5 or 6% or something like that. Bitcoin does not have a dividend. So uh, like that, that's a question too, from a like operating profits perspective, like why would you do this rather than take that same money and put it into something that's generating consistent 5% return? Maybe it's their, you know, treasury management people saying they're bullish on Bitcoin. And so there's some like upside that they want to capture there. But it does raise a question. It's definitely a risk on move for Tether. Kind of actually goes back to the uh, Bitcoin as a treasury asset narrative that we saw from some of the big companies in the space a couple of years ago, right? You know, MicroStrategy most famously going all in. But even with Tesla and other firms putting a portion of their reserves in Bitcoin as something that was a bit more resilient to some of the more macroeconomic things that were playing out in the market at the time. So it does sort of suggest that maybe that narrative is coming back into style a little bit. But it also Mm -hmm. suggests that, yeah, the company's putting its mouth money where its mouth is as it relates to, hey, Bitcoin can be a more resilient store of value relative to a banking sector that is kind of in crisis these last few months. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's something there that they see sort of in the macroeconomic sides that makes now right. But again, that's complete regulation on my part. It is definitely time for some kind of hedge like that, because we are also seeing the U.S. debt ceiling debate go on. So uh, treasury yields are actually dropping very slightly, but there is some anxiety out there about that. So that could be a factor here too, in terms of their fiscal management. All right, Jen, we give you the last word on this one. Tether, Bitcoin. I got no good words to say on this. You know, when I, when I saw the headline about Tether investing in Bitcoin for their reserves, I thought about this, like, you know, we talk about it almost every day. Bitcoin's having its time in the, in the sunshine again. And so this is just another story to show me that More crypto companies are focusing in on Bitcoin. The technology 
is being built up. And I think we're going to see, you know, Bitcoin have its time in the spotlight again. And that's where I'm going to leave it. <laughs> All right. At Bitcoin in Miami, it's that time of year. Having a little bit of FOMO about that conference, actually. I don't know about you guys, but you still have time some, to go. Li- looking for some dispatches from Miami, should anyone be down there? So let us know in the comments, maybe. All right. That's it for the show today. Thanks for being here on The Hash. You're watching Coindesk TV. You may also be listening to us by way of the Coindesk Podcast Network. Thank you so much. We love all you podcast listeners out there. All right. That's it for the show. I'm Zach. That's Jen. That's David. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good day. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 